The uh, readings today sound very much like Lent. Uh, Jonah uh, preaching to the Ninevites, repent. Obviously the same message in the gospel and and, uh, in the second reading, the injunction to do it now. It's not yet Lent, so I won't make this too sad. We get to Lent, we'll be sad enough. Um, But it's important, I think, to first recognize this. Now, we're told that John had been, you know, captured. John the Baptist had been captured. He's in prison, and then Jesus begins preaching. Um, We all know that John the Baptist was the one who preached repentance. He preached repentance, and in fact, he baptized a baptism of repentance. And I think a lot of people think, okay, well, once John is gone, then Jesus comes in and it's, it's all, you know, uh, moonbeams and teddy bears and stuff. And what's interesting is the first thing that Jesus talks about is repentance. He continues the theme of repentance. Now, why would he do that? Now, the reason is really quite simple. If a person doesn't see themselves as a sinner, they don't need a savior. You don't need a savior if you don't ever sin. You you don't need a savior if there's nothing to save you from. And so a person cannot accept Jesus Christ truly as savior until they have realized that they are a sinner and that there ought to be a sense of guilt for their sin, a sense of sorrow for having sinned. Now, this is a fascinating concept to, to even look at, I, well, for me, in our culture. And because I, I think that idea of having offended God or even that we ought to be sorry or sorrowful to God for our sins, it becomes less and less over as as our culture becomes more and more secular. The more that you become detached from understanding God's sovereignty, the less of a motivation you'll have to feel sorry for having offended God, right? If God doesn't exist, there's no reason to feel sorry. And I think that that's what we see happening in our culture. I was thinking about this today with... uh, Do you remember uh, in 1966, some of you were there, 1966, John Lennon, um, this is pretty much the height of the Beatles, 66, is that right after Rubber Soul? Anyone? Anyone? Revolver? You don't know. You weren't paying attention. You don't remember the 60s, and there's probably a reason for that. Anyway, in 1966, the Beatles were huge. I mean, they were huge. They're a phenomenon. And uh, he made the comment that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus Christ. Now, it was obviously hyperbole. You know, it was obviously uh, not meant to be some sort of atheistic statement. However, he greatly angered all kinds of uh, Americans, particularly, because back then, America was very, very religious. And there were you know, people burning all kinds of Beatles albums, etc. Just the, th- just the hint that somebody who's playing secular music su- could suggest that they were bigger than God, right, P- 
provoked this reaction from a culture that was still Christian. And I think it was a disproportionate reaction, but nonetheless, what it demonstrates is how far we've come from that kind of culture, 1966, to 2021. How many years is that? That's like 60 years-ish, ish. ish. Um, in, In a short span of time, I mean, pop stars say far worse things than that every day. That's not nearly, in fact, it's, it's usually planned because, you know, no press is bad press, especially if you're trying to sell a product. But how far we've come from our understanding of being a culture that is Christian that would be even offended at some sort of suggestion that people are more important or bigger than God. And what happens then is, you know, not necessarily that people don't think they can still do things that are wrong or offend other people. In fact, the greatest sin today is not offending God or breaking a commandment. The greatest sin today is saying anything that might hurt somebody else's feelings. I mean, the bar has been set so low. I disagree with you about your outlook about the human person. Cancel them lose their job, etc., over and over, because I offended you. Holy cow. We live in a culture where no one can be offended because somebody disagrees with you. If that's the state of affairs, you can never have free speech. You never have free speech. If, if the bar is so low that, you know, well, if you disagree with the gestalt of, of modern thought, then you know, you, you have to be silenced. You, you don't have free speech. You might say, well, people can still say whatever they want, even if they lose their job, their home, their career, their wife, their children. They still have free speech. No, they don't. That's the point. They don't have free speech if they're coerced not to speak. Anyway, that's an aside. Just another example of, of secular culture. But let's look at what repentance is and what it is not. Repentance is sorrow for sin, being sorry that we did something wrong, that we did something wrong. Sorrow is, or repentance is not shame. Okay? Repentance is, I did something wrong. Shame says, I am bad because I did something wrong. That's a lie. And unfortunately, we tend to conflate the two. We mix the two together, but they're, they're not the same thing. A person who does something wrong should acknowledge it and say, yes, what I did was wrong, but it doesn't define you. We are not defined by our failures or by our sinfulness. They're not the totality of our person. Most of the time, we're not doing bad things. By and large, well, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but everybody that I've met, most of the time, we're actually doing pretty good things. Yet what happens is shame creeps in, and, and, and sometimes, you know, religious leaders can use shame as opposed to just talking about guilt, because, you know, you can use that for coercion, right? Parents do the same thing, unfortunately. And great damage is done when the focus of getting your children to do what you need them to do and what you want them to do 
is to tell them how bad they are if they don't do it. But you don't even believe that about your children. They're not bad as a human being, as a person. Particular actions can be bad, but you wouldn't say you're, 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 a, you're bad as a, as a human being. And it's incredibly uh, destructive to do so. And I think what, what also happens, this is where our, our, the practice of our faith gets really confused. Um, because we tend to associate guilt with shame. So this has been my experience as a priest. If I preach or teach on something that the church proposes is true, and somebody really disagrees with it, or maybe they've committed that sin, they get angry at me, either because I'm, I'm not supposed to say it or because of the emotions that they're feeling. Well, the emotions that they're feeling are really about shame. They're not about guilt. It really shouldn't be that difficult for us to say, yeah, I guess I have done that wrong. I have done that. I've committed that sin. I need to be forgiven. It's different to say to ourselves, I've committed that sin and I'm bad. That's not how God sees us. If God saw us that way, he wouldn't ask us to follow him. Why would he want bad people to follow him? Why would he want defective people to be his disciples? Furthermore, nothing that God creates is bad. Anything that's created by God is inherently good because it exists and shows the manifestation of, of the creator. And so one of the things we have to get rid of is this shame. Unfortunately, it doesn't usually come from the church. It usually comes from our parents because of the conflation of the two ideas or because of our own maladaption of understanding the difference of doing something wrong and actually being bad because of it. I think this also keeps people from, you know, going to church. Well, I can't go back to church. Why not? Well, I've been away for so long. I have shame. Look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden. Again, it's a, it's a, it's a story to help illustrate the, the nature of sin. Adam and Eve, they sin, and then they start hiding from God. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> That's what we're told. They're hiding from God, and then God's walking through the garden. Where are you? Like he didn't know. Right, the, the point being told to us is that, and this is an experience, how many times do we sin and then we don't really want to say our prayers because we're embarrassed? Well, God saw you sinning. He was there. He still wants you to say your prayers. And that, that becomes even bigger when people say, well, I can't go to church or I can't go to confession because there's a sense of shame. There's a sense of I am bad and not good enough. We are all good enough. Not by our own merits, but because God has made us good enough. God created us good enough and bestowed upon us his son who makes us good enough. And once in a while, we do things that are wrong. All of, all of you young people, I don't know if any of you are being forced to watch this at home. I'm sure some of you are young people and your parents are pinching you right now to listen, so pinch them. Young people, you are going to make all kinds of mistakes. You're gonna make all kinds of mistakes. 
and it's okay. Good. The worst thing in life is not making a mistake. The worst thing in life is never learning from a mistake, or one of the worst things, is never using a failure or a sin or a mistake to try to get better, to try to improve. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to sit in, our, in some sort of shame. He wants us to look, look squarely in the, you know, at the action we've committed, if it's a sin or if it's a mistake, to look at it clearly and say, okay, I did that. You know what? Lord, I'm sorry for having done that. And he forgives us. Boom. He doesn't want us to remain in that place of, oh, I'm really, really bad, and look at how horrible I am, over and over and over. No. Sorrow for sin. And, and sorrow for, you know, in relationship to other people. So children parents and parents to children. Sometimes we don't act as we ought to. Sometimes we don't act our best. We can apologize and move on. It's over. It's the unhealthy person who wants to continue to make the other person feel shame over having done something wrong as a means of manipulation. It's not, of course, healthy at all. Well, why would God do that? He doesn't. Be forgiven and move on. And then the moving on is following Jesus. But we can't follow Jesus until we're just honest about our sins. Okay, I'm a sinner. This is what I've done. I lay it down at the foot of the cross. Lord, I am sorry. Now I'm following you. And so what I invite you to do today uh, for during our communion time is because uh, this can be done anytime. You know, obviously at the beginning of Mass, we do it with the penitential rite. It's very formalized. But, but anytime we can manifest sorrow for, for our sins, not shame, but sorrow. I have done things that are wrong, and I lay them at the foot of Jesus, and I ask to be forgiven. And so I invite all of you to do that today. During communion at some point, make that your prayer. Lord, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner, but I love you. I offer all of my sins. Please forgive me. And then let it go. Please stand.